0: We few. We happy few. We band of brothers. We want them talking trash to Goliath. We want them building a boat and collecting animals. Everybody thinks they're crazy, and they are. I'm your huckleberry. I just wanna say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Behold, a pale horse. The man who sat on him was death, And hell followed with him. Can you read, my son? Well, that depends. Can you go for fighting the shade? Repent or perish. You know your places. God be with you all. all Offer all one for one then, I guess. Media. Hail to the King. Revelation 13 verses 11 through 18. This is the word of the Lord. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image of the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Amen. to God. Alrighty. Six, 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 baby. We made it. Uh, the second half of Revelation 13 introduces the second beast. So we had the sea beast in the first half of Revelation 13, right? And we talked about how that was uh, in one sense Rome and in another sense Nero. He's kind of that living head, the head that is right now that we talked about from Revelation 17. So that's the beast of the sea. Here we're looking at the beast that comes up from the earth, this time rising up out of the land. So unlike the beast of the sea, right? We talked about the idea of the sea, uh, this tumult is representative of the Gentiles. And then out of the wickedness of the Gentiles comes, uh, you know, this chief villain from the Gentiles, Rome, right? This seven-headed beast, Seven heads, ten horns. Uh, Rather, now we have uh, this beast rising up from the land. And so if the sea is the Gentiles, the land is Israel. This beast is rising up actually out of Israel. So let's look back at verse 11 of our text. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So that's the descriptions we have. So we have this seven-headed beast on the first half of Revelation 13. Now we have this beast that has... Two horns like a lamb, so when you look at it, it looks like you're beholding a lamb. Uh, but when you hear him speak, he speaks as a dragon. And dragon's not good. That's a reference to Satan. So the the second beast is coming up out of the earth, out of Israel, as I mentioned. And the identity of the lamb beast is made even clearer as we look later in Revelation. So just like we went to Revelation 17 to understand better the identity of the sea beast, the beast from the sea, we're going to go to Revelation 16 and Revelation 19 to try to understand a little bit better who this beast coming up from the land is. So land Israel is what we have so far, right? If we look at revelation 16 verse 13, John says, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come up out of the mouth of the dragon. Remember the dragon is Satan, right? That's what we had in revelation 12 and out of the mouth of the beast. We're working our way down beast of the sea. So now we have, okay. So dragon, dragon, Beast of the sea, now you should be expecting land beast, right? It says out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So I want to make the argument that the false prophet and the beast from the land are the same, which praise God that we have overlapping imagery in Revelation. It's one less thing to remember. Um, But false prophet, land beast. We see that again in Revelation 19 verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles, right? Think back to our text. We're going to go through it more thoroughly. But the text, we have this this beast from the land working miracles before the beast from the sea, right? He's deceiving the people by his miracles. And here we see the beast was taken and with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. Sure sounds like what the beast of the land is doing, right? Right? That wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. So we see in our text, the uh, beast from the land demanding that everyone receive the mark of the beast. And, then, and that's the only way they're able to buy or sell. And deceiving them through miracles. And that's exactly what we have the false prophet doing in Revelation 19. Again, with the, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and then that had worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Again, that's Revelation 19.20. So Revelation 16.13 and Revelation 19.20, I think, positions us to understand uh, the beast of the earth as the false prophet. The beast from the earth is the false prophet, and the false prophet is none other than the Jewish religious leaders. So who was it that was uh, demanding that people receive the mark of the beast? Uh, Demanding that people worship Caesar. That's really what we'll get to this in a minute, but that's what it means to have the mark of the beast, right? Is to, instead of worship God and receive the sign that God calls us to, which is to have his word on our foreheads and on our hands, literally a a complete wicked twisting of that, just like the the wicked mirroring we saw last week with the beast being in the image of the dragon, right? Just like the son is in the image of the father. We have that wicked imagery here of receiving the mark of the beast on the hand, on the forehead, that's dedication, that's worship. Uh, well, the Jewish relig- religious leaders were the ones uh, commanding that from within Israel, calling the Jews to worship the beast, proclaiming that Caesar was their only king, like we talked about last week from John 19, 15, stirring up false accusations and manufacturing false witnesses against the Christians throughout the early church. That's what we read throughout the book of Acts, as we see Christians doing what Christians are called to do, preach the gospel, loving one another. Acts 6, 9 through 15 for the sake of time, I won't go through all these, but Acts 14, 2-5, two, two through five, Acts 21, 27-36, all of these are just examples of Jewish leaders literally just drumming up charges that weren't there, just making things up, which really points to the wickedness as to what was going on there, right? The Jews aren't uh, just confused about who Jesus is, and they're like innocent, like they really loved the Old Testament, and they beheld God in the Old Testament, and now Jesus came, and it was a stumbling block for them, and they're just really struggling with their faith now. The Old Testament proclaimed Christ, and if they were hoping in that God, then they would have. Those who were hoping in that God rejoiced when Jesus came. We have examples of that, right? We have people who saying, "Hey guys, we're just getting started. We're in a Revelation 13, looking at verses." Hey, how's it going? My name's Sean. Hi, my name's Mike. Nice, nice to meet you, Nice to you. meet you. I just came. To yeah, yeah, glad to have you, man. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. We're in a Revelation chapter 13. So the Jews were stirring up false accusations and manufacturing false witnesses against Christians, and this shows the true heart of where they're coming from. Uh, they weren't worshipers of the true God who just weren't, who were unsure about Jesus. Their attitude toward Jesus uh, proved who they were in their relationship to God. Right? We cannot have relationship with God the Father unless we have uh, faith in His Son. If we don't have faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, we can't have relationship with the Father. So these Jews didn't have relationship with the father, because they hated his son, and they they showed that they hated his son by the way they treated his people. But Jesus says that the church is his body. You know, Jesus has bought us with his blood. That's what he accomplished in his death on the cross and in his resurrection from the dead, Is he purchased uh, for us life by paying for our sins upon the cross, and in paying for our sins after paying for our sins on the cross, rose from the dead victorious. So death no longer has power over those who have faith in Jesus, because Jesus has conquered death. And sin for us. So in all that, Jesus has united us to himself. When we have faith in Jesus, we're united to him. And so when these Jews are persecuting the church, it's as good as persecuting Jesus because Jesus is the head of the church. So these Jews persecuted uh, the very Messiah, the one who came to die for sins, the only one who came to die for sins. Again, uh, I'm going to read chapter 13, verse 11 is where we're at. I'll read that verse again before I go into this next part. Uh, It says, And I beheld... Another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spake as a dragon. So just to catch you guys up quickly, I won't make as many arguments for it, but I'm I'm making the argument that this beast from the land is uh, a beast coming up from Israel. The land in Revelation and throughout the Bible is is talking about Israel oftentimes, while the sea is talking about Gentiles, which is everyone who's not a Jew. That's who the Gentiles are. To get on the same track, you guys in Revelation 13, verse 11. So, this beast from the land is Israel. That's basically where we are so far. This beast is Israel, and more specifically, it's the religious leaders of the Jews in this time. So, that's, who we're, that's how we're operating with uh, this beast of the earth. We can talk about that more after, but just to catch you up so that it doesn't throw you off. Uh, and that is the same as talking about the false prophet that's talked about later in Revelation. False prophet, beast of the earth are interchangeable in Revelation. So that's what we're talking about right now. Again, verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. That's coming up out of the land of Israel. And he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. As I said a moment ago, but just for everyone, you'll remember from Revelation 12, the dragon is talking is representative of Satan. That's an image of, of the devil. and uh, But he appears here as a lamb, right? When you look upon him, he looks like a lamb, but he speaks as a dragon. Jesus said it like this. This beast who had two horns like a lamb, but spake as a dragon. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 7, 15. He said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Again, that's Matthew 7, verse 15. These Jewish leaders, these Jewish leaders who were persecuting the church were wicked men. They weren't just confused. They were wicked men. They were envious liars who wanted to do nothing uh, wanted nothing to do rather with the truth of God which is directly related to worshipping his Messiah. They claimed to speak for God as Jewish leaders, right? They had the Old Testament scriptures and they claimed to speak for God while they slandered his church and bowed their own feeble knees while they kissed the ring of Caesar, right? In, in the Gospel of John when Jesus is being crucified uh, Pilate asks, you know, would you have me crucify your king? And the Jews declare we have no king but Caesar. They abandoned Any semblance they might have had left in them to worship their Messiah and instead worshiped the king, the the emperor, rather, of Rome. These Jews were willing to align themselves with the most vile men of their day, men of the lewd sort, the Bible says, if it meant overthrowing Christians. We'll look at one example of this from Acts chapter 17. This is in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Acts 17, 5 through 8. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. So whatever comes to your mind, you think of lewd fellows of the baser sort, right? I was talking with Roman about this earlier this week, and he, he mentioned, uh, you know, they, cause they go on to gather a company and Roman was mentioning, you know, it was kind of like, you think about like a BLM rally. Who do you, who do you gather up for a BLM rally? Well, you gather up the guys who are standing around, don't have anything to do, right? That's what you wind up getting. It's, those type of guys, right? Took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. Jason was a Christian and sought to bring out bring them out to the people. And when they found them, not they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying these that have turned the world upside down or come hither also whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. So what do they appeal to? Is it a disobedience to God's law? No, it's not a disobedience to God's law. It's not a disobedience to God's law that they appeal to. They appeal to, uh, you know, a disagreement, uh, a friction with the decrees of Caesar. That's what they care about. Saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. These Jews did not change their tune as to who was deserving of worship and obedience after Jesus was on the cross, right? We see Peter. Peter makes a pretty big mistake denying Jesus three times. People say, oh, you were with him. He, he denies him, right? But he, he leaves sorrowful, right? He repents. Repenting, is, repenting means to, to turn from your sin. Your, you know, the call of the, to the Christian or the one who wants to be a Christian to have faith in Jesus is to repent of your sin and to have faith in Christ. Repenting of your sin means to recognize it as an offense against God, the holy God, deserving of wrath, to turn from that and to turn to Jesus in faith, seeing that uh, those sins were laid upon him and paid for in in his sacrifice for us. But what do we see with the Jews, right? Acts 17, we're well past the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And Caesar is still alone the one that deserves worship and and obedience in their mind. They haven't turned back to Jesus in in repentance and faith, but have doubled down time and again uh, on worshiping Caesar, on demanding Caesar be worshiped. To claim God deserves obedience and worship, which these Jews would have done, if you said to one of those Jews, does, does the holy God demand, because they would so consider themselves worshippers of God, does God demand worship, uh, they would say yes. But that only means something positive insofar as it's truly honoring obedience and worship. Lip service doesn't do anything. God wants nothing to do with it. These Jews did not worship the triune God in the least, for they hated the Son. God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, dwelling eternally in perfect unity and if you hate one of them you can't love any of the others it doesn't work like that these Jews were worshippers of Satan claiming to speak for God from within God's covenant people it's the worst part of it from within his covenant people truly they embodied the false prophet right the false prophet throughout the Old Testament typically comes from within their ranks right claiming to speak for the true God but speaking falsehood, tickling ears, that kind of thing. And truly the message of Revelation uh, presses forward that this idea that the Jews are being cut off. It's one of the central messages of Revelation is that the Jews are being cut off, the Gentiles are being welcomed in. Jerusalem, specifically in its temple, will be destroyed. And that's what we've seen already. We've seen judgments falling on Jerusalem. Night, These Jews sought to undermine God's very people through deceit, through slander, in a willingness to stoop as low as they could, right? The lewd lewd fellows of the town, rounding them up, as low as they needed to accomplish their goals. Needless to say, when they spoke, it sounded just like the dragon. So get verse 12 now, Revelation 13, 12. And he, that is the beast from the earth, exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. That's the beast we looked at last week, the beast from the sea, which is Rome, more specifically Nero when he was uh, emperor at that time. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. You should recognize some of that language from last week. We already talked about this deadly wound that's been healed. Uh, that's going to come up again and again. Because uh, in a lot of ways, it's it's the source of the worship uh, that they're giving to, to Rome and to Caesar. So we'll get to that more in a moment. Uh, this beast, this false prophet, exercises the authority of the beast from the sea, Rome, from before him. So the false prophet comes into the presence of the beast from the sea. And from there, acts as an agent for the beast of the sea. Comes into his presence and acts as an agent for him. These Jewish leaders submitted themselves, right, going from the image to the reality. The Jewish leaders submitted themselves to the Roman powers in order to try to exterminate the Christians. They saw that as their their best mode of doing so, right? They continually appeal, even think about Jesus' crucifixion, right? They don't do it themselves. They turn it over to Rome. Uh, They do everything they can. They say what needs to be said. Oh, he's uh, he's blaspheming Caesar. You don't care if he's blaspheming God. Why would we even bring that up? He's blaspheming Caesar. You guys don't like that. they'll, They'll do what they have to do. Uh, to bow the knee to Rome, to see to it that uh, their mission is accomplished, right? See here again, that wicked mirroring. So that wicked mirroring continues. We talked about the sign on the head and the forehead. We talked about the beast being the image of the dragon as this wicked mirroring of the father-son relationship. Well, here we have uh, a comparison to God's angels. We talked about the angels. Back, if you remember, some of you guys weren't here, but all the way back in Revelation 1, we talked about how the angels that are talked about in Revelation uh, angel is like messenger. You're good, dude. Chow down. Angel is like, is uh, a same word used for messenger for prophet, Right? So we see all that. And even for pastor. So we made the argument back in revelation one through three, even the, the letters written to the angel of the church at Smyrna, the angel of the church at Pergamos, right? Each of those are, are the pastors of those churches. So we have, so just keep that in mind, right? This idea of angels, prophets, what do they do in revelation one? they come before the throne of God. That's what we do every Sunday in church. As we actually ascend to heaven, we're in God's courts. We're in God's courts for the Lord's Day work, for our Lord's Day worship. Jesus walks amidst His lampstands. That's what Revelation one talks about. And we come into the presence of Christ. If you remember, the slain but standing Lamb, and then we go forth from there wielding the sword of His word. So we go there to be equipped, and then we leave there with His word, bringing forth His message. We see the same thing in our text here. Right, This false prophet goes before the beast and then from the beast goes forth and brings forth the beast's message. So it's again the devil using this wicked mirroring trying to picture uh, the perfect plan of God, right? Father, son, the son speaks to his prophet and then the prophet brings that to the church. The false prophet receives his marching orders from the beast. He goes forth demanding after being in the presence of the beast where he works his power, he goes forth demanding that all men worship the beast. The beast from the sea was worshipped, we read, because of because his deadly wound was healed. Uh, we talked about this a lot last week, so I'm not going to go into it as much. But this deadly wound was delivered to the dragon and therefore to the beast when Jesus conquered sin and death on the cross. God promised that all the way back in the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God promised that he would send, right? This, there's a serpent who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. And God promised a serpent crusher, one who would crush the serpent's head and that's that's what we read about here uh that that head wound dealt to uh to the dragon and therefore to the beast uh was jesus conquering on the cross and so what does it mean that it seems like it was healed it wasn't truly healed uh but uh rome had not been defeated by this jesus at this point right jesus and his disciples had commanded the kingdom of god is here it's come it can't be defeated Right, that was in uh, Mark one fifteen, and all over the, the Gospels, Jesus is declaring the kingdom of God is here, right? But then he gets bloodied on a cross, and you know he rises from the dead. But they kind of keep that hush hush, and since then, you know, the gospel's gone forth a little bit. But since Nero's taken over, we've honestly been dominating these Christians, killing a bunch of them. Uh, seems like the deadly wound has been healed. Seems like Jesus was kind of talking a big game. The kingdom of God God had arrived, but the victory was not immediately comprehensive. Everything wasn't taken over in a fell swoop, right? When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about yeast slowly working its way through the loaf, right? Growth like a mustard seed. Starts small, grows slowly, becomes significant. The the, The Romans considered Jesus and his disciples to be fools and liars. In their minds, Rome was untouchable, and therefore the emperor worthy... Of worship, Both the Romans and the Jews scoffed at the resurrection of Christ. Jesus rising from the dead bodily. Not just in his spirit. It's not just a, a message of hope. Bodily rose from the dead like there's an empty tomb. Jesus rose from the dead. And they did not see the cosmic victory that this was. Nor did they understand the implications of it. What it meant for the world. Jesus will have his victory over this nation. This nation of of Jerusalem and the Jews, and he will do so soon. It will be destroyed in his timing. But as unbelievers are apt to do, these Jews and the Romans considered God to be far off from judging them. Think about uh, Psalm 10 that we sing often, right? Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Right? This idea that uh, you know, God's judgment will be spared them. Right? When, when people are living their lives and they're living in sin, they know it's sin, right? They know it's disobedience to God, but they're not experiencing what they think is any kind of negative repercussion for it. Uh, What unbelievers are apt to do is to think, uh, God's far off. Judgment's never going to come for me. Judgment will surely come for for all men in God's perfect timing. But uh, these, these Jews and these Romans suppressed any thoughts of God bringing wrath upon them. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 of our text. And he, we're still talking about the beast of the earth, and he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Again, you see at the end of that, right, that echo. They have this wound by the sword but lives. It just it's it's kind of their battle cry as to why, you know, why do they deserve, why does Rome deserve, and more specifically, the emperor deserve worship. The false prophet, we read, has the ability to work miracles. Real deal miracles. These miracles deceived many into worshiping the beast. And Jesus warned his disciples about these men precisely. Matthew twenty four twenty-four says, For there shall arise false Christs. And false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So these Jews are seen as right. Jesus declares there's going to be false prophets to come, and their miracles are going to be legit. Like my people are going to be tempted to believe these people. But we read, uh, you know, you go back to uh, Deuteronomy, uh, I believe it's Deuteronomy five, one through thirteen, and you see. Uh, I have it in here actually. 13, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. Uh, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, you see, you know, the command God gives uh, to what should happen to these false prophets. So what makes a prophet and doesn't isn't judged by whether or not somebody can do a miracle. It's what it what's the command from that miracle. Because really the idea of miracles in the Old Testament when uh, when they're accompanying true prophecy is it's it's to open the eyes to say, oh wow, this is, you know, I need to hear what this person has to say. And then uh, everything they say is to be compared with the word of God. So if they say something contradictory to the word of God, they can work all the miracles they want. They're a false prophet. And uh, in the Old Testament, God says that they're deserving of death. In Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. The false prophet, the one who does a miracle and then commands something from that, right? I did a miracle. Hear what I have to say about what God has for you. And it's contrary to the word of God. They're to be stoned. These Jews are seen in action throughout the book of Acts using sorcery, deceiving others and proclaiming uh, God's wrath, his judgment against Christians uh, in their communities. We'll look at a few of these examples now. Uh, Acts 8 verse 9, but there was a certain rich man called Simon, you'll probably recall, uh, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Look down to uh, Acts thirteen six through 10. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. So this is a really interesting one because we have a Jew working with a Roman, right? Working with a deputy of the country, And this deputy calls for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus, that's the same as Bar-Jesus, just different interpretation, probably different language. The sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation. I'm not sure what that means, but it's the same guy, same as Bar-Jesus. But Elimus, the sorcerer, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So he literally, this Roman wants to hear the word of God. And this sorcerer is going out of his way to try to see to it that uh, this Roman does not believe uh, in Jesus Christ. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? So we get one more, Acts 19, verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus saying we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. Go read Acts 19. That does not turn out to go well for the vagabond Jews. The text says that these Jews do do their works of miracles in the sight of the beast. So again we have him before the beast doing these miracles. That's where he gets his power. Instead of seeking God through Christ... And receiving power at His hand, right? That's what we're called to do. We're called to, you know, week by week, and even just in going to the Word, we go to God through Christ. He's our mediator. And receive power at His hand. Power to overcome sin. Power to live lives of holiness. Power to love one another well. Instead of doing that, they would do their works. These Jewish leaders, these false prophets, the beasts of the earth, they do with their works before the beast. And God was clear as to what these workers of miracles who led God's people away from his commands, deserved. These Jews were working in wicked ways to undermine the kingdom of God, seeking to lead others astray and lead them toward their desired end, encouraging others to make an image of the beast. That's what our text says, to make an image of the beast. In other words, they encourage the Jews into idolatry. Uh, and I don't, think, I don't think that what's being talked about here is a, a literal physical statue. Uh, that the Jews worshipped of Rome now that being said we talked last week about how Nero literally had a huge statue but I don't think that the Jewish leaders were those like they weren't the ones building that they weren't encouraging that I don't think they were discouraging it Uh, but I don't think that's really what's being talked about by John here Uh, and that's not really our definition of idolatry idolatry is to worship it goes beyond that it's deeper than that idolatry is to, to worship anything over and above the one true God that's what idolatry is Anytime we set anything above that, even just in our hearts, it doesn't have to be a physical image that we behold to worship, right? We can worship money. We can worship our self-image. We can worship all kinds of things. And any of that is idolatry. The idolatry specifically here for these Jews who rejected Jesus Christ and therefore in their rejection worship Satan. uh, The specific sin, I think, is, uh, you know, worship of the state, worship unto Rome, worship unto Caesar, They were encouraged to worship the state. And praise God, it's no longer an issue today. Uh, In reality, our day is marked uh, by many looking to the state, the government, as its savior. We have a a nation now, probably more than ever, uh, looking to the government as its savior. As long as we cede it to the government to provide for the poor and needy and to continue to extend that provision into things like housing and more right now you have people talking about how housing is a a basic human right uh which is really that's just code for saying like okay so now i have to pay for another guy's housing that's now my job that's that's what that means our government as long as this continues to expand our government will be seen as the savior as long as we continue to bolster welfare programs with taxpayer money buying entire hotels that's in the new san diego budget uh, we we put a bunch of transients in a hotel and hotel circle because of COVID-19 and in the budget is like $500 million to just buy that hotel and keep all the transients in there. And they're not paying for that. We're paying for that buying entire hotels on the dimes of others and giving over our children to be educated by the state. As long as all these things are taking place and especially as long as we're complicit in it, right? Encouraging it or in those examples like education, right? There's not much we can do about the hotel. Right. If we're here, we're gonna, we're gonna, our arms are going to be twisted into paying for that. Uh, but certainly education is something we have a lot more control over, at least at this point, uh, without you know, the government intervening. And even once they do, I think we still have a duty uh, to see to it that we educate our kids. You know, so we'll figure that out when it comes, if, if we need to. But as long as we continue to do these things, we'll see a government growing in size and in power and a people growing in their dependence upon such a government. Right? All we're going to see is more and more dependence on the government. So instead of families and churches, uh, instead, families and churches are to take up this work. Uh, And those who do not work, right, those who do not work should be encouraged to do so and to provide for their own families through that work, as we should be encouraging our society to do. Those who need help, right, because there's certainly a category of people who just need help, Uh, injuries, all kinds of things, just difficult life circumstances. Uh, Those people are to recognize their lack, not only materially, but spiritually. When they see their material need is to point them also to their spiritual need, a deeper need. They are to see the love of God from that place. They are to see the love of God through God's people, repent of their sins, turn to Christ in faith, be baptized, and join the church of God. Because in the church, those in need receive the help that they need. That's what the church is for. Now, when the government takes that role, the church is stripped of that glory. Right? That glory is there. Uh, Think about, you know, if... If the government wasn't supplying these things for people and people actually needed them and, and returning to the church, and, and I'm not against any at all kind of help for people who won't join the church, right? I think there's, there's room for that. But the majority of the church's job is to take care of the church. If we're actually loving one another well, there's plenty of needs within our ranks and we're to take care of those. And people are to see that love and it's to draw them into the love of God uh, and they receive that by repenting of their sins and turning to Christ in faith. In the church... Uh, people receive help to overcome addictions. It's not the government's job, it's our jobs. Pay their bills and grow in a godliness that includes being a contributing member of society uh, with the gifts that God has given. As long as the state is worshipped, sins like covetousness, right? That's, that's what socialism is. It's a fancy word for covetousness. Coveting the goods of others, demanding that they be for us. Sins like covetousness are not exposed and abhorred or hated. But instead, instead of being hated and and exposed, they're cultivated and celebrated. And sinners are not left with the consequences for their actions, but are given an artificial covering. Most of these government programs are just artificial coverings over sins that people have committed. And that's a covering that does nothing to pay for their sins. So look at verses 15 through 17 of Revelation 13. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. Here, a greater deception of the role of the false prophet, right? I hinted at this already. The Jewish leaders stood in a similar place as the angels of revelation, the pastors of the seven churches. The angels receive revelation from before the throne and then deliver that revelation to the church. That's the job of the the, the, the pastor, right? The pastor studies the word and then brings the word to the church. So these, these angels go before before the Lord, receive revelation, which is this. It's not, not a voice in your head, but it's the Bible. And, and then bring that forth to the people. The Jewish leaders stood in a similar place as the angels of revelation, those pastors. The angels receive revelation from before the throne and deliver it to the church. And the result is that the church is formed more and more into the image of Christ, the one who gave the revelation. Right. So Christ gives the revelation to the pastor, aka the pastor studies the word, brings the word to the people. And as that happens, Jesus promises, Right. We talk, what is the, what's the gift given to those who are effectually called from our catechism? Sanctification. He promises that he's going to make us more and more into his image. Well, for the false prophet, his words and miracles, the words and miracles of the, the false prophets, the Jewish leaders, which come, before, uh, which come from before the beast, we read from our text, go out to the Jewish synagogues and through deceit form these synagogues more and more into the image of the beast. This formation is demonstrated in their desire to kill all those who do not worship the beast, as we read from our text. It was required of everyone, no matter your status, to worship the image of the beast. It's obviously not at the same level at this point. Uh, but, you know, they, you know, they would say, if you don't do this, you deserve death. And it's, it's not at the same level, but it's kind of the same tone as Black Lives Matter is today. Right? If, you don't, if you're not with them, you're the worst person in the world. You know, you're a monster. It's un- unthinkable. Right, Bow down or die is not far from the message any of us have received if you've had any dialogue with somebody who's you know, pro-Black Lives Matter and you push back, of like, uh, are you pro-Black Lives Matter? There's a lot of black lives, it seems, that like you don't care about and yada yada. Receiving the mark is, again, a wicked mirroring of God's call to his people to bind his law on their hands and on their foreheads. Satan's demanding what God demands, right? That's what Satan's trying to do here. He's demanding what God demands. Twisting the truth of God into evil. Certainly the Jews were making this appeal to Rome. Taking every opportunity to point out the disobedience of the Jews, like we looked at earlier, to the Roman officials and desiring their destruction. It's not hyperbole in our text when it says that they were seeking to kill anyone who didn't worship the image of the beast. It's literally what was happening. To be known as a Christian meant uh, meant to reject emperor worship. We talk about this mark, right? It's not like a microchip. Sorry, that's it's not what it is. Uh, it's parallel to what God commanded in the Old Testament, were to be marked out as worshipers of God, and part of being marked out as a worshiper of God means you're objectively not an, a a blatant idolater. Like, that bucks up against what it means to be a Christian. This means for these uh, for these Christians that the Jews of their town would see to it, right? the Jews of their town would see to it that they could not buy or sell in the market. So that was a legitimate consequence of their obedience. The fact that they wouldn't bow down to Caesar, right, and that they were marked out as worshipers of the true God, uh, meant basically, if you were a Christian, good luck getting a job. That's pretty much what it meant. And we've talked about this idea a lot in the past. But wisdom for these Christians was not giving a little bit of emperor worship so that they could get a good job and provide for their families because God calls us to provide for our families, right? They needed to find another way to provide, figure it out, because idolatry, like I said, is antithetical to faithfulness. We're not going to be faithful Christians if we're marked out as idolaters. We need to kill idolatry uh, in our hearts if we're to be marked out as faithful. Uh, And so figure it out figure out another way band together as the church and make make things happen uh, but emperor worship is not is not the answer last verse of our text verse 18 here is wisdom let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is six hundred three score and six that's in the King James your Bible probably says 666 it's the same number so a lot of confusion on this over the years. But I think, you know, from what we established early last week, right, this, uh, I think from last week we make a good case that Nero is who's being talked about as uh, the representation of this beast, right? The head that currently is, is Nero. Well, John here puts the nail in the coffin as to the identity of the beast from the sea. Not to say that this is the only argument people make, but from from this position. Not only is this beast Rome, but John says more specifically, the beast is a man a man whose number is six hundred three score and six or six hundred and sixty six. This number using a a common mathematical discipline of John's day called gematria, G-E-M-A-T-R-I-A, gematria, uh, could be translated into a name. It's actually a very common practice in uh, Hebrew and Greek and Latin. All of their uh, letters corresponded to a number. We use Roman numerals and then Arabic uh, letters, and so we don't have that. So it sounds kind of weird to us, uh, but then it was a very normal thing. Uh, Doug Wilson, in his commentary, talks about how there's uh, I think it's in Pamphylia, some cave over in Asia, they they find like a an inscription that says, "Thank you, Pompey." Uh, you know, it says, "I love her whose number is 545 or something like that." It was, a, it was a common thing back then to to identify people's uh, names with this uh, with this system, so when gematria Dramat- is done to this number six hundred and sixty six in Hebrew, it comes out to Nero Caesar. If you're familiar with uh, the New Testament, it was written in Greek, so it's kind of weird that this would need to be translated in Hebrew. So it'd be it'd be reasonable to ask why would you have to do that in Hebrew? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, in the context, right? Why not just do it in Greek? Well, the main reason is because 2020 is not the first cancel culture ever in the world, right? F- things have been censored many times in many cultures in many in many ways. John's writing from an island, Patmos, and it's very likely that John knew that this letter would be read by a Roman who was to sift through it and make sure that there's nothing in here that's going to, you know, seek to usurp Nero's authority and the worship that he deserves, right? Now, if, I mean, if you've been with us through Revelation, you know that a Roman card is going to pick up on nothing in Revelation. Because it's just, unless he, knows, unless he knows the Old Testament, it's just, most of it's just going to be way over his head, right? But if all of a sudden he just drops in 666 and you translate it in Greek and it's Nero Caesar, he's going to have a real good idea of what's being talked about, right? John's writing, uh, due to these, these types of attempts that John's anticipating, most likely, uh, John gets a little bit tricksy. Uh, with a touch of Hebrew to him that hath understanding John's Eurostep around the Roman guard would be plain smooth but plain more broadly right so that's that's establishing Nero as, as this representation of 666 if it's translated in Hebrew most of his uh, audience would at least a, I don't know about a majority but a, a strong portion of his church would be able to read Hebrew uh, and they would be able to piece this together but more broadly, 666 is three consecutive or successive sixes, right? And this represents uh, a thorough falling short of what would be perfection. 777, right? God made the world in seven days. We see seven throughout Revelation representing perfection. And so this is a thorough falling short. Satan thoroughly follows short of attempting his, his attempt here at godhood, right? This whole, our whole chapter has been this build up, right? Dragon, beast. False prophet, all these you know, on the forehead mark of the beast, on your hands, uh, demanding really all these things that God demands, uh, but he's he's the six six six, he's not the seven seven seven. Even in his best attempt, Satan cannot make himself into God. He cannot compete with the Almighty. Even further, we serve the risen Savior, who has already conquered Satan, conquered sin, conquered death in our place. The number of our Messiah who conquered all this in his resurrection on the eighth day of the week. 888. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Jesus Christ, our savior, our redeemer, our conquering king who reigns now at your right hand. We thank you that uh, we don't longer have to uh, pay for our own sins, for you have uh, paid for them in the work of your son on our behalf. He came to earth for us. He lived a perfect life For us died a sinner's death, though he had committed no sin, so that uh, by his wounds we might have healing. Not only did he die, but he rose from the dead, declaring that uh, all who have faith in him would be justified. And so we praise you for uh, the glorious work of your son. uh, As we read of of Satan and his wiles in Revelation 13, we're reminded uh, that Jesus has conquered him, that the death blow has been dealt. And so we pray that you'd help us to continue to live lives of faith. Help each of us here to trust in Jesus for eternal life. For life is to be found nowhere else. And may we live a life consistently, not just one time, but a life consistently repenting of our sins, recognizing, recognizing them as uh, failures to keep your law, turning from them, trusting in Christ, uh, receiving forgiveness for in his uh, perfect sacrifice that he made once for all. Uh, We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.